See if you can tell what all these things have um, in, in common. Decca Records decided not to sign the Beatles. Decca Records decided that guitars were falling out of favor with the American and the English people. And so this record company passed on the most famous band of all times. Can you imagine that? Somebody made a decision in April of 1912 to only put 16 lifeboats on the ship that even God couldn't sink, which was the And so because of that, only a few hundred people were saved and over 1,500 people drowned. Somebody made a decision. Back in 1950 to 1961, there was a morning sickness drug that did help women reduce their morning sickness. However, it greatly increased the deformities in those unborn babies. And then when those babies were born, they had a lot of abnormalities because of this particular drug. Nobody can really figure out why Napoleon decides to invade Russia in the dead of winter. He goes into Russia with 600,000 soldiers, and immediately lice breaks out on his entire army, fevers break out, and the food begins to spoil, and he crawls out of Russia with about 100,000 soldiers. Prohibition. 1920 to 1933, Prohibition was an era that was supposed to reduce crime. And of course, Prohibition was no alcohol, no moonshiners, can't drink it, can't sell it, can't transport it. And Prohibition was supposed to reduce crime. Crime shot through the roof in this country. And the worst part of that story is a thousand people a year died just from the tainted alcohol. Somebody decided to put hydrogen gas in the Hindenburg. That didn't go so well either, did it? And the Hindenburg just, just exploded. Now, you, now, what do all those have in common? Now you contrast that to some of our presidents. It was Theodore Roosevelt who felt like if we could just dig this channel, just dig this canal called the Panama Canal, we would open up all kinds of commerce and shipping lanes. It was Thomas Jefferson in 1803 who said, you know what, if we can get this land from the French, it's cheap, we can double the size of the United States, and he did. It was Dwight Eisenhower who said, this country needs a highway interstate system, and we can pull that off. Probably the greatest president of all times, in 1863, Abraham Lincoln declared and issued the Emancipation proclamation. Now, what's the difference in those two categories of illustrations? Those first five stories are disaster decisions, and those last four from those presidents are amazingly good decisions. I'm going to talk about decisions today. I'm going to talk about, and I'm going to probe a little bit today on how you make decisions. Now, here's what we all know. We all know that good decisions lead to? We don't know. <laughs> good, decision, good decisions lead to better life, good things, right? And we all know that bad decisions don't lead us, get us where we ultimately want to be. Now, let me ask you a question. Raise your hand with this. How many of you in this room have made at least 
one really good decision in your life, okay? At least one good. I think you've made at least one. You came to church this morning, and you're worshiping your Heavenly Father. And how many of you brushed your teeth? That was a really good decision this morning, all right? How many of us in this room, though, we've made at least one really bad decision in our lives? How many of us? If you did not raise your hand, we have straight jackets and we have people back there in white coats that will take you back to a padded room, okay? So we all know this. Well, this morning, we're going to study a couple of power players. And one of these power players makes really good decisions. And he just strings them along, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of really great decisions. And the other power player doesn't make a lot of great decisions. He makes some good decisions, but not a lot of great ones. And we're going to be in the book of 1 Samuel here in just a couple of seconds. Here's what I want you to think about. What I want you to think about is, what is my strategy for making decisions? You have one. You have a strategy for making decisions. What is your strategy? You have other people involved. You have nobody involved. You think through what you do. You just impulsively react or respond. What's your strategy for making decisions? Here's the second question. What's your standard? Because everybody in the room also has a standard. What is your standard for making decisions? One guy today had a high standard. One guy today had a completely different standard. And, and the results were on two different, ice, two, two different like icebergs on two different coasts. So everybody in the room has a standard. Let me just say this to you. The Bible clearly defines these two different standards. The one says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And the other one says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, what's the difference between those two? You see, the fool says in his heart, he knows in his mind there's a God. But he says right now, because of my circumstances or because of my situation, I'm going to pretend like there's not a God standard. So the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And I can live how I want. I can do what I want. I can go where I want. The fool just decides that the standard's kind of like his or her own standard or the standard of culture or the standard of TV. However, the other standard's completely different. The other standard says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, there is a standard from my heavenly Father, and I'm going to try to figure out what that standard is, and I'm going to try to follow that standard all the days of my life. So one is foolish. The fool says, there is no God. And the other one says, the fear of the Lord is going to drive my life. Now, here's the great news today. If you've been in this camp and you've made some really good decisions, I'm going to encourage you to continue to make great decisions. I'm going to encourage you to continue to do what you're doing. And if you've not made some really good decisions, how can we have a system and how can we have a standard that will ensure that we're going to land where we ultimately want to land with our lives? So the first power player is Samuel. Samuel is the prophet. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 20. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 20, he says this. 
And all Israel from north to south, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. Now, this is about 20 years of taking place in the book of Samuel. And in Samuel, for 20 years, he has made really good decisions. And by making these really good decisions, he's now recognized as the leader. Let me now go to chapter 8. If you're, if you're following along with me, go to chapter 8, 1 Samuel chapter 8. Here we go. When Samuel grew old, and so again, now this is toward the end of his life, and the book of Samuel is not always written in chronological order, and it's kind of confusing. But when Samuel was, grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. And the name of the firstborn was Joel, the name of the second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba, but his sons did not follow his ways. This is the only negative thing we can find in the entire Bible about Samuel. Can't answer why. I don't know why. It's just a fact. Okay? They turned aside after dishonest gain, and they accepted bribes, and they perverted justice. So the elders of Israel gathered together, and they said to Samuel, You're old. Your sons did not follow your ways. We want a king. Appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Now, this displeased him. When they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. You see, when you're displeased, what's your system for making decisions? If you don't have a system for making great decisions, you will make bad decisions when you are displeased with somebody or with something. So the Lord told him, now this is cool. He's displeased, so he prays. He asks God. He's not the fool, is he? He has the fear of the Lord in his life. He prays and he asks God. And the Lord said to him, okay, this is God saying, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they're doing this to you, Samuel. Now listen to them. This is all God. Warn them solemnly and let them know that the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. It's an amazing passage of Scripture. Again, my question to you this morning is not what are the decisions that you've made. We're not here to hash old wounds. The question is, do you have a strategy for making decisions? Let's keep reading. Let's go to the next section of Scripture. Now we're in chapter 12. Samuel's still old. He's getting older, and he's kind of in front of all the people. Samuel said to all of Israel, I have listened to everything you said to me, and have set a king over you. Now you have a king as your leader, it's Saul. As for me, I'm old and I'm gray and my sons are here with me. I've been your leader from my youth until this day. Here I stand. Testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From who? I mean, thousands and hundreds and thousands of people are all around him. And he's asking this question. Have I cheated anybody? Have I done anything illegal? From those, from whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make me shut my eyes? If I have done any of these things, I will make it right. You've not cheated us or oppressed us, they said. You've not taken anything from anyone's hand. Now think about this for just a minute. You've gone to a conference. It's a Christian conference. It's a ladies' conference. It's a men's conference. And they always get some conference speaker up there 
who's had some dramatic conversion. You know, I did this, and I, I can't even, I'm not even going to describe what they did. I did this, and I did this, and I did this. And, and then the next speaker gets up there, and they got to kind of outdo the sin of the other conference speaker, you know. And so all of a sudden, I mean, you're just, wow, I didn't know people did things like that, you know. You're like freaking out. And everybody walks away thinking, wow, that's so cool. And it is cool to the grace of God. But it's a horrible testimony. It's an absolutely horrible testimony. You know what the best testimonies are? I was faithful my whole life. The best testimony is when I was raised in Sunday school and I made a choice to give Jesus my heart. I went to middle school and I went to high school and I was faithful. I went to college and I served God. I became a young adult. I became married. I had a dad. I'm a mom. I had kids. I'm I'm 50. I'm 60. I'm 70. The best testimony of all is not somebody who gets up there and tells all the sin they've done. That's a testimony to the grace of God. The greatest testimony you can give for God is that you've been loyal and faithful every day of your life. I did a funeral this past week for a 99-year-old lady. 99 years old. She was a missionary, served God, served Christ. Nobody ever had anything ill to say about this woman. She was loyal for almost 100 years. I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you today to live the rest of your life with a testimony that counts. Well, it's great, the grace of God. It's amazing, the power of God. It's amazing about the blood of Jesus. That's all cool. It's great. But the greatest testimony is your loyalty and your faithfulness and your steadfastness all the days of your life. That's Samuel. Samuel was loyal to God his entire life. You've not cheated anyone. You've not oppressed us. And Samuel said to them, the Lord has witnessed against you and all his anointed has witnessed this day that you've not found anything in my hand. He is a witness, they said. Incredible story. Incredible story that he was loyal and faithful. So here's my question to you today. How do we make really good decisions when we're lonely? Because that's when we can make some really bad decisions, right? How, how do we make really good decisions when we're, we're hurting? And how do we make really good decisions when we're just disappointed. We're just disappointed with them and her and him and it and life. How do we make great decisions when we're, when we're confused? Those are the things that God gives them to us. Look at chapter 12, verse 23 says this. No matter what he was disappointed in, who he was disappointed with, Samuel is even going to pray for the very people that he's so upset with. He says this, as for me, Far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good, and I will teach you the way that is right. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. So this morning, we have two power players. And one power player made Lots of really good decisions. But the other power player, he made a few good decisions 
But the question is, is how do you make a lot of great decisions? I'm in a leadership book for a guy named Phil Tuttle, Walk Through the Bible, and my quote in the front of the book is, even the, this sounds like me, you're going to think this sounds like me, I said, even the village idiot can make one or two good decisions. They printed that in the leadership Christian book. I thought that was hilarious. Even the village idiot can make one or two good decisions. But great leaders make seven or eight hundred in a row. The point is, how can you string together for the rest of your life great decisions? Well, let's look at the guy now who didn't make the right decision in every situation. This would be the king, King Saul. We'll go to 1 Samuel chapter 15. Here we go. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people, Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. So in other words, Samuel has got a message to Saul. And Saul, I want you to take out these people who were very bad to my people hundreds of years ago. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. So hundreds of years before this, God's now going to get revenge and justice on the Amalekites. Okay? Now go, Saul attack the Amalekites, and totally destroy them. Is there any part of that that you don't understand? What does it mean to totally destroy somebody? Any part that we don't get? You get that? Yes? No? we, We get that, right? Do not spare them. Is any part of that confusing to you? Put them to death. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle, sheep, camels, and donkeys. This is terrible, all right? Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havala to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. But he took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. That's where the music changes. Ding, 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 right there. And all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. And then it says, but Saul. Whenever you see the word but and Saul next to each other, you know you're going to have a problem, okay? But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the cattle. The fat calves, the lambs, everything that was good, these they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. I mean, when you're guilty, the first thing you got to do is brag how good you are, right? I've carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? I love that question. And what is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, well, now now here's here's what happens. When you make bad decisions, you now have another choice to make. I make another bad decision by blaming other people, or I make a great decision by owning up the responsibility. You'll never go forward until you own up the responsibility. So he's going to blame. Now he says, well, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites, and they spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice the Lord your God. But we, you know, we, we did destroy the, the rest of the people. I, I want to tell you about a story that uh, maybe helps illustrate some of this because we begin to justify what we're doing and who we are and how we think. I was 27 years old. Um, Danita and I didn't have kids. And I graduated from seminary, and we're in Indiana on Morse Reservoir. Does anybody in the room know where Morse Reservoir is? Okay, all right. So we're on Morse Reservoir. We're, we're just out of graduate school, 
and um, we have our first apartment, and we have no furniture. I mean, we have literally a card table and two folding chairs, and I buy a brand new boat. <laughs> I got my priorities right, right? And, and Danita's good with this. This all, Okay, my mother-in-law thought I had flipped, all right? And, and so we've got a boat, and we're having so much fun on Morse Reservoir. We're working all day, and then we're fishing at night, and we're water skiing on the weekends. And, and it was a Saturday, and we're with another couple. And it hadn't rained a whole lot, and the lake was low. And uh, it wasn't Danita's fault. I'm skiing again, of course, and she's pulling me in the boat, and I'm on the rope. And she runs over a sandbar. And all of a sudden, I see mud like a blender coming out of the back of that prop, you know, mud spewing up about six or seven feet. I run out of water. I hit land on the skis, and I just, you know, go face forward. And, you know, again, most wives would be concerned and worried about their husband. Denise laughing out loud saying, if we only had it on video, if we had it on video, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. And so we get, we get back in the boat, and the hot engine light comes on. I've sucked up water uh, I mean, uh, sand and some little rocks, you know, and the water pump and the impeller. And so we're done. We're done for the day. And um, so I take the boat then to a shop. And the guy said, um, two weeks, new water pump, new impeller, we're good to go. Two weeks go by, it's not done. Two more weeks go by, I call him again, not done. Two more weeks, not done. Now, in Indiana, you've got a short season, Right? So we're about to run out of our ski season. Finally, after eight weeks, um, the whole thing was fixed. I pick it up, and the guy's in a hurry. The lady that does the billing is gone to lunch. She said, we'll send you a bill. A month goes by, no bill. Two months go by, no bill. Three months go by, no bill. I said to myself, I'm not going to tell them. (laughs) They told me two weeks. They told me two weeks. It's been eight weeks. It's on them. Tough. They're just tough out of luck. But you know, something begins to like stir inside of you when you know that you don't exactly have the right conclusion in your life, right? And so probably the only thing I've really done right is I do not surround myself with yes men. I've never done that. You surround yourself with yes women or yes men, uh, you will never grow. You will never go forward. And so one of my dear friends, Jeff Swanson, I knew Jeff wouldn't tell me what I wanted to hear. I told Jeff about the boat. I told Jeff about how long it took them. I justified it. And I said, I I really don't owe them any money, do I? And Jeff said, well, did they do a good job? Well, yeah. Did they fix it? Yeah. Um, Did they do it for the price? They charged you? No, they didn't charge me anything. They didn't send me a bill. He said, you owe them for the water pump. You owe them for what they charged you. I said, oh, are you sure? <laughs> he said, you, you owe them. You owe them the money. So I go back there, you know, and I tell the guy, you know, hey, look, you know, this was what happened. You never sent me a bill. I was going to let it slide. A friend of mine told me, I owe you, I owe you, you know. And he said, well, how about if we knock $50 off of it? Would that make you happy? I said, yeah. So, so the point of that story is not the 50 bucks. The point of that story is not that your preacher's corrupt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> The point of that story is, what's your system? What's your system for making really good decisions? Because you see, if your system is just you, 
It's a closed system. It's not a good system. And so who are the people in your life? Saul doesn't listen to anybody. Saul does what he pleases. All the first-time guests are going, I knew we should have gone to Lutheran church today. I knew it. All right, look at verse 16. Verse 16 says this. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed you king over Israel. And he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people. Remember, this was the mission? Destroy the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you've wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me, and I completely destroyed the Amalekites, and I brought back Agag their king. The soldiers took the sheep and the cattle. He still didn't get it, does he? He's still not taking responsibility. In order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. See, finally you get yourself in such a hole that there's no way out, and and regret overtakes you. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You've rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you. Now aren't you glad you live in the New Testament? Okay. The Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. Then Samuel said, bring me Agag, king of the Amalekites. Agag came to him in chains. And he thought, surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, now Samuel's 85 years old in this story. 85 years old. Look what he does with the sword. As the sword has made women childless, so will your mother be childless among women. And Samuel put Agag to death before the Lord. There's another translation that says, and Samuel hacked Agag to death. I kind of prefer that translation more. But anyway, it's an amazing story that, that takes place here. Now, Why do you want to make good decisions? Maybe I've not convinced you yet. Why? Why do you want to make great decisions? Let me share with you some of these on the screen, and you can write some notes in your your bulletin if you want to. But here's some reasons why you want to make great decisions. Number one, making great decisions gets you where you ultimately want to be. You already know this. Number two, making great decisions opens up options. Maybe you forget this. But bad decisions actually reduce your options. Great decisions actually expands your options. Number three, making great decisions builds momentum. You see, when I make good decisions, I'm kind of in the zone. But just make two or three bad decisions, and you have a harder time making good decisions when you're in bad decisions. Number, number four, Making great decisions increases your confidence. Number five, making great decisions puts you in position to make even better decisions, right? All that takes place right there. Now look at these numbers. There's four real quick, but I'm going to give you these four now. Look at these on the screen. This is what Saul never got. 
But Samuel did. Saul refused to listen. But Samuel prayed. Samuel asked other people. Number two, he waited. Sometimes we need to wait, but sometimes we need to take action. In our staff meeting this past Tuesday, we talked about this subject, and one of our pastors wisely said, you know, sometimes people need to take more action. And he said, some of the more passive personalities need to take more action. He said, Kurt, yours, you, you need to wait more. And I agree with that. Look what else he did right. He willed to please God. You see, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What's, what's on your heart? Samuel wanted to please the Lord. He wanted to please God. And then he did this. He obeyed. He obeyed the word, and he obeyed the will of God. So look at all those lists right now. Where are you in this list? Which one of those do you need to step up? Which one do you need a little bit more work on? I want you to pick one of those and think about it. But what I want you to get more than anything else today is, I don't have a system. I I really don't have a system. Or, Or my system is me. My system is me. Or or maybe today, I think I can put this in place and make really good decisions for the rest of my life. I'm going to listen. I'm going to wait, or maybe I'm going to act quicker. Depends on the situation. I'm going to will to please my Heavenly Father more than anything else. I'm going to obey the Word and the will of God. We're going to close this morning with an an old, old hymn. And the old hymn is, I have decided to follow Jesus. How many of you know the old hymn? Yeah, yeah. So for those of you that are Christians, for those of you that are believers, keep doing it. Keep doing the right things. Keep going the right direction. Keep, Keep sticking the flag in the ground. Keep making the right decisions. I've decided to follow Jesus today, and I've decided to follow Jesus tomorrow, and I'm going to follow Jesus the next week, and I'm going to follow Jesus all the days of my life. I'm going to be loyal and faithful and true from, even if you haven't been, from this day forward, I'm going to continue to follow Jesus. 71 of you got baptized last Sunday night. You made a decision to follow Christ in Christian baptism. Well, maybe today is your day to accept Jesus as your Savior. Today is is His invitation to you. And so you say, "I, I, I believe that He's the Christ. I believe He's the Son of the living God. I I need a Savior. I've got sin. I've got issues. I've made some really bad decisions. And I'm going to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior, and He will cleanse me of all my unrighteousness. I acknowledge my need of Him. And so after this song, there'll be, Kyle will lead the prayer partners to come down and, and we'll have people. But if you've, if you've never given your life to Jesus, today's a great day. If you are a Christian, you've been a Christian for 50 years, stick the flag in the ground. I'm going to be loyal. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to make great decisions the rest of my life. Let's stand.